You're listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. We are beginning a new series today talking about our mission statement for Valley Hills Church. And we are going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 2. When I finish, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe that that's true, would you respond by saying, thanks be to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Uh, How's it going, everyone? Doing all right? I'm, I'm in a weird season. I feel, I feel like, I don't know if you guys have been in a season like this before, but uh, where, where you're kind of going about your day. Can we get the house lights up a little more, please? I want to see our people. Um, and, and it feels like you're either thinking a lot about what, like your past, and you're thinking a lot about what's coming, and, and it's hard to be in the moment. Um, I'm in one of those seasons. I was reminded while we were worshiping of a coach, a former coach, of Alabama, Nick Saban, he used to tell his players this. He says, be where your feet are. He used to tell his people that all the time, uh, just to get them focused because there's so many distractions, right? And I just felt like, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just sharing with you, like this has just been a season of be where your feet are. And I'm just grateful to be here with you in this moment and with you as we get to hear and share and learn about Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. And so if you are new here, my name is Samir. I'm one of the pastors here. I get the opportunity to lead. Uh, we are an elder-led church. We have several pastors that lead, um, and we do it in, collective, in a collective fashion, and we believe in that. We believe in that model. We believe that's the godly model. We believe God's called us to walk in that. Um, and if you haven't been with us, we are in a unique season in the church. It's been an exciting season, but also a season of change, season of transition, um, we, we were excited about it, and, and just so you know, when we launched this church back in September of 2022, we launched as a Story City Collective Church. There's a church, uh, collective church of Story City in Burbank, and we got launched here at Story City Granada Hills. And we are about a year and a half in or so, and we actually have the opportunity now to be completely autonomous, and we're going into our own entity, our own name, and we are going to be... Valley Hills Church here in Grand Hills. And so it's an exciting season. It's a new season. There's change. I know some of us like change. Some of us have a hard time with change. And that's okay. And that's why we're here together. Uh, and that's why we're calling this series Through the Hills and Valleys. Through the ups and the downs, we're here together living and growing and learning about what God is doing in the midst of our church. And so it's an exciting time. 
We just finished the series in Colossians called Rooted, which was so fitting because being rooted in Jesus as a foundation of everything we do and are is essential to anything in life, especially in seasons like this, where it feels like there's a shifting and a moving, where we can be solidified as one body moving to one direction because Jesus is at the center. And so we're going now into a season, into a series called Through the Hills and Valleys, which is going to lead us all the way up to the end of Palm Sunday, and then Easter is going to be a one-off, and then we go into a new series. But it's a four-week series that's going to be focused on our mission statement. We're going to look at our mission statement, and we're going to look at it and break it down, dissect it into who we are as God's people here at Valley Hills, and what does it mean to live on mission together. And so we're going to break that down the next four weeks, and we're really, really excited about this new series. So let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll jump into it. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you have us right here in this moment, that we can be where our feet are, that we can be present in this moment, that the things of the past, things that have happened in our past can sometimes affect and, and, and cause us to not be present. And the things that we're excited for for the future and what's to come can distract us from being in the moment. Lord, so we ask you to be here with us as we are seeking to be near to you, as we're seeking to hear from your word, as we're growing in likeness of you, Jesus. Transform us from the inside out. And will your word be declared, and may we be near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So our mission statement is really going to be the base of our series. And our mission statement is this. We glorify God by helping our neighborhoods grow into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. All right. I hope it's simple enough to, to, remem- to remember and to memorize, but we glorify God by helping our neighborhoods grow into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. We're going to have a four-week breakdown of all these. This, today, we're going to emphasize that first section, we glorify God. We glorify God. What does that mean? What does that mean to glorify God? I want to share a snapshot of how this realistically looks in our life as individuals and as a church. How can we walk in that? What does that look like? How do we glorify God? Because first and foremost, all of humanity exists to glorify God. We were created. We exist. God made us for the purpose of bringing him glory and reflecting his image. That is the exact purpose of why we exist. I know that through the distractions of life and through what the world tells us, we don't really know that's a fact sometimes in our life because we get distracted and being reminded of other things. Because there's a lot of other false expressions of who God is and who we are. But the truth is we are created and made to glorify him. You can see it in in Genesis 1. It's not up there, but I want to read it real quick. It's It says this, it says, then God said, this is the creation time where God's creating. He said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made in his likeness to reflect his glory, period. That's what we're created for. 
So how does that healthy expression of glorifying God look like? What does that mean? How does that, how does God intend it to look in our daily life today and now? See, today's passage gives us a glimpse of how the early church reflected on glory, glorifying God in their life and how he would be reflected through their life. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. We, we went through 1 Corinthians last year, if you're with us, um, and just so you know that Paul wrote three letters to the Corinthians. We only have access to two of them. Uh, there might have been even more, but we have access to two of them. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians because they were going haywire, right? They, they were not understanding the truth of the gospel, and they were actually questioning Paul's leadership, Paul's apostleship, whether or not he was genuinely the right person to listen to. So he wrote them this letter, uh, and then they responded, and he wrote them a second letter that was like, y'all are tripping kind of letter. And then they wrote back, and then he wrote them this letter, 2 Corinthians, where he's like, listen, don't get so caught up in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Like, God has brought Jesus, the Messiah, for a purpose. And then this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to glorify God. And then this is a section of what he wrote to them that helps them highlight that understanding. And, and I believe he's writing that to us today. That this is what we're called to. This is how we're called to live, to glorify God in our life. I'm going to read it from verse 12. Uh, Josh read it from 17, but I'm going to read it from verse 12 because I want to break down a little bit of that first section of that uh, passage. So I'm going to read for, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through uh, chapter 4, 2. It says this. Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to, his, to this day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since we have the ministry, this ministry, because we are Shown, have been shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. You see, Paul is starting off by helping them understand that the old covenant, when Moses came and led the Israelites, they had a limitation to what they can see of God's glory. To the point where when Moses would come down from the mountain, he had to have a veil over his head because the glory of God was shining upon him that the Israelites were not allowed to even see it. There was a veil covering his face. This is significant. Paul is helping them understand something here. Because the old covenant relied on the fulfillment of the law to display the glory of God through humanity, and also the sacrifice of an innocent lamb in order to have forgiveness of sins. This is the old covenant. This is the old understanding of the law. Jesus then came to fulfill this law. 
So the old covenant in the time of Moses required then for Moses to wear a veil and for the curtain to be displayed in front of the Holy of Holies where God was present. The curtain was there because that's where the priest would enter into, sacrifice the lamb so that there would be forgiveness of sins. So there was a separation of sort in the old covenant between God and humanity. And then Paul is saying this, verse 16, right? He says, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So he's like, hey, don't focus on the old covenant because the new has come. For those who put their faith and turn to the Lord, this veil, this curtain has been removed, has been torn. Your access to the Father, your access to God is now open. Jesus tore the veil. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we preach. That Jesus, the barrier breaker, the veil terror, came to earth to make a way for us to be near to God. That there is no more need for a veil. That there is no more need for a curtain. That Jesus came, fully fulfilled the law perfectly. The law that had all the Ten Commandments and the rules that the Old Testament, that the Israelites were not able to fulfill or that neither of us are able to fulfill. But that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law perfectly. And then he lived that life so perfectly to the point where he then also was the perfect sacrificial lamb in the way he died as well. So not only did he live the life perfectly to fulfill the law, he also died the perfect death to fulfill the, the need for sin's forgiveness to come by being the perfect lamb who died once and for all. So now for all who believe, for all who believe in him, we are made righteous and displayed as ones who walk in the glory of God in us and through us. Jesus now has tore the veil. For all who believe, we now walk in the image of God from the way he originally intended us to live as image bearers of God where his glory now shines through us because Jesus perfected what he had to do. This is a big deal. His glory now is able to be displayed and revealed through our lives. Some of us can even say like, man, I don't feel like that. I don't feel like I can display God's glory. I don't feel like I live a life that reflects the goodness of God or reflects Jesus the way you're describing. I totally get that. But this is the facts of who Jesus is and what he's done. And for those who believe in him, we're called to walk in this truth. And to display his glory, not because of what we can do, but displaying what he has already done. So our big idea for today is this. Our big idea that I think Paul was trying to help describe for the Corinthians and what he's saying to us today and now is this. That we will display God's glory when we are transformed into the image of Christ. We will display God's glory when we are transformed into the image of Christ. We are daily being transformed into the image of Christ. This is an ongoing thing. We will never reach it to perfection until glory, until Jesus returns. However, in the midst of this season, in this life now, we are continuously being transformed into God's 
image into Jesus' image. Does that make sense? Like it's a, it's a process of growth and sanctification. So we will be transformed into the image of Christ as we live out these three truths. These three truths that this passage displays and I believe these three truths that we are called to walk in. The first one is this. That we get to walk in our freedom. Walking in our freedom is a truth that we're called to live in. Walking in our freedom. See, one of the most incredible aspects of our Christian journey is the freedom that we find in Christ. Right? Verse 17 declares this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Our transformation into the image of Christ isn't about binding rules, but a journey of freedom. See, freedom is essential because the Old Testament, the Old Covenant displayed these rules and mandates that we were supposed to live by in order to see and know God. But because of what Jesus has done, just like I described, and those who believe in him, we now have been made righteous because of Jesus, and now we can live in the freedom of knowing God without binding us to these rules and mandates that we cannot live up to anyways. What freedom that is, that we get to know God because of Jesus. Walking in our freedom means letting go of the chains of sin, the chains of guilt and the chains of shame. It means embracing the liberty found in Christ and living as people who have been set free. See, as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, we become mirrors and reflecting reflections of God's glory. Showing the world that true freedom looks like it's an overflow through us, right? Like, like we're not walking like we mess up, we sin, we fall short. This is going to happen. We all fall short of the glory of God. But to be reminded of what Jesus has done, to be reminded that we are under his truth, and to be freed in knowing that we are set free, that we are forgiven, and that I want to then grow in my transformation in Jesus, not because I have to in order to earn his love, but because I have his love because of what he has done, I desire to grow and become more like him. It's an overflow out of our hearts, this freedom that we live. So that is huge. So what does that mean as an individual to live in this freedom, to be a freedom people. What does that look like? I love John Piper's quote when it comes to glorifying God. He says this, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That means God's desire is for us to enjoy him. There is a joy in knowing him. There is a gratitude in knowing him. There is, a, there is a goodness in being near to him. And that joy and gratitude overflows through us where it overflows through us so much that his glory then shines out of our life. It's not a matter of, man, I got to go to church or, man, I got to do the right thing or, or forcing ourselves to, to, to live this life, but it's a matter of gratitude and joy that flows through us because we are near to God. So what does it mean to walk in this freedom? See, it's about embracing the forgiveness and grace Christ offers. 
It's letting go of guilt, shame, and the burdens that weigh us down. Walking in our freedom means living with the confidence that we are already loved. Living in the confidence that we are already accepted. Living in the confidence that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit who God descended down to be in us. As we do this, we become living testimonies of the freedom that we find in Christ. That's how we do it as individuals. So what does freedom look like as the body, as the people? How do we live in that freedom together collectively? This is what we are striving for as a people here. Let's be intentional about fostering a culture amongst us where everyone feels valued and accepted. Where we recognize that in our unity, we reflect the glorious freedom found in Christ as we do life together. Together as a body, as a church body, let's live in the joy and the liberty that comes from being transformed into his image, displaying God's glory within our shared faith in him as we do life together. So our first truth that we live in as we grow in our transformed life to bring God glory, our first truth is that we walk in our freedom because Jesus did it already. It's not on us to do. The second truth is this. The second truth is that we worship as family. We worship as family. Verse 18 says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the image, the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the spirit. We all. From, from birth to death, all of us that are in Christ display his glory as a family. This verse speaks about our transformation into the image of Christ as we behold the glory of the Lord. This transformation is a communal experience. It's a unifying experience where we are not on this journey alone. We are in this journey in one, as one family. And our worship should reflect that. Worshiping as a family means coming together to celebrate the goodness of God, to encourage one another, and to build each other up. Our transformed lives will lead us to worship in unity as we glorify God through song, through life, and through different avenues of our journey. See, let our gatherings become marked with love and belonging and a shared desire to reflect God's glory. We worship as family, right? Not only is that true when we gather together, but it's true when we go home. How do we worship as family in our homes? Family worship isn't about perfection, isn't about how good you can be and how good your kids behave and, and how they obey you. That's not what family worship is. It's really about authenticity and connecting with each other and with God. Drawing near to him and drawing near to one another. Gather as a family, whether you're a big family, whether you're a small family, whether it's just you and your friends that live together, whatever it is, whether big or small, let your living room, let your dining table be a sanctuary. Share your highs and your lows, pray together and share an encouragement in scripture that stands out to you as a family. 
Me and my family uh, were invited uh, to the Myers house not too long ago. And if you go, Dane and B and their lovely kids, we were invited to their house to have dinner. And it was a great time. We sat around the dinner table. We ate. Uh, and they did something really cool that they shared with us. They allowed us to be a part of their, you know, their experience of, of what it means to eat around the dinner table and do life together and worship God together. They did this thing called High Low Buffalo Jesus Show. You guys know what that is? Have you ever heard of that? Okay. So it's this idea where everyone gets, around, gets to go around and share their high of their day, their low of their day, their buffalo, which is just like something random that just happened today. And then their Jesus show. Jesus show. Where did Jesus show up today? Like, where is somewhere in your life where you feel like, man, that was a cool experience, and God really showed up, or or, or such? And really, what that does, and we love it. We actually we actually adopted it as our in our family. We use it all the time now. Thank you guys. They're not here. The, the parents are helping, but their kids are here. And it's been a joy, and it's just an experience of reflecting communication, connection with one another, and opportunity to hear what God is doing amongst us. And, and, and it's just a good way to reflect worship in the home. Um, just a small example of that. So as we worship as family in our homes, we then worship as family in the body of Christ here together as the church. What does that mean? What does that look like? Obviously, on our Sunday services, our Sunday liturgy, the way we structure out our service, we value worshiping as a family. Right? We invite all the kids during our worship time, do our singing time. Some of the greatest, I share this all the time, the greatest moments of my Sunday is when I'm holding my daughters and them singing to the Lord. And them being discipled by the worship team. And them learning scripture through the preaching of the word and through the teaching of Sundays during kids. And through the singing of songs. Like This is what we value as a church. We value the family as we worship together in unity. Where we are all being discipled. It's not just disciple the parents and then the kids will figure it out as they get older. Like we value worship as family together. But not only are we valuing the Sunday service, worship is not just confined to Sunday. But it extends to our daily lives. It's about encouraging one another as God's people. It's about praying together when things are hard. And sharing in the joys and the struggles of life through the hills and the valleys, if I may. In our authentic relationships, we reflect God's glory. So, so let's be intentional. Let's be intentional about creating these types of spaces in our lives to create a time to worship and grow and celebrate as a family united in Christ. That it's not just set to what we do on Sunday, but, but there's opportunities to see in our homes and in our schools and in our local parks where we gather and worship together by just having conversations about our life and about how good God is. Let us gather and let us worship as a people. So as we draw closer to being transformed into Christ's image and to reflect his glory, we live out these truths, right? That we, walk, we are walking in our freedom and that we worship as family. And the third one, the third truth that we walk in as, as a people is that teaching gospel-centered foundation. Teaching gospel-centered foundation. I know it doesn't flow with the W concept and the F at the end. I tried fitting it, but it didn't work. But this is what we're trying to say. That all things we do is centered in the, in the heart, 
heart foundation of who Jesus is, what he has done for us. Right? Paul says it in verse 2 of chapter 4. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. That everything we do is centered on the truth, that there's going to be lies, there's going to be deception, there's going to be things trying to teach you otherwise, but the foundation is always centered on the gospel of Jesus. And as a church and as a people, we always center ourselves back to Jesus as our foundation. As we aim to display God's glory through our transformed lives, it's crucial to have a solid foundation. Verse 1 reminds us of the importance of a gospel-centered approach to life and a church. Right? Verse 1 in verse four, uh, chapter 4 said, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry so that we do not lose heart. So our transformation is not our doing. It's not how good we are. It's the result of God's gift of this gospel. God's gift of Jesus and what he has done. The unveiling work of Jesus so that we can be near to God because of what Jesus has done. This is the foundational truth. It's the bedrock of our faith. Shaping our identity, our motivations, our actions. Let's build our lives on the truth of God's love, grace, and mercy. Ensuring that every aspect of our existence points back to the life-changing work and truth of Jesus. Period. So how do I do that as an individual? How do I, how do I embrace that as an individual? First is to teach and remind myself of this truth. The reality is the most effective preacher or teacher in your life is yourself. The most effective teacher and preacher in your life is yourself. We teach and preach to ourselves more than anyone or anything will. What's your self-talk like? Do you tell yourself the truth of the gospel when things are getting hard? Do you remind yourself of God's goodness when it doesn't feel good? Do you remind yourself of Jesus is bearing of the cross and the death he took for your sake because of our sins? Do you remind yourself of what he has done and the joy he has displayed and given us abundance in life because of who he is and even though we, we do not deserve it? What are you teaching and preaching to yourself? Do we remind ourselves of the gospel? This is not to shame. This is just to encourage you. Like, we need to remember that learning and understanding who God is isn't just something we retain from outside people and outside sources. It's something that becomes indwelled in our hearts and in our minds so that in the midst of hardship, we can teach and preach ourselves into the gospel, into the truth, into understanding who we are in him. Because a gospel-centered foundation means that we continually align our lives with the teachings of Jesus. Because when you're home, and you're not here on Sunday, or when you're teaching and loving and leading your kids, who's reminding you of the goodness of God? We need to teach and remind ourselves of who he is. It's about allowing the good news to shape our attitudes, our decisions, and our priorities when we build our lives on the firm foundation of the gospel. We stand strong against the storms of life and become beacons of God's glory when we are reminded of this truth. 
when we remind ourselves, when we teach ourselves, when we preach to ourselves this truth. So as individuals, this is how we walk in the foundation of God's gospel, of the centrality of Jesus in our lives. And as a people, as a church, how do we do that? We are teaching one another, right? On Sundays, we clearly stand on this pulpit and we preach and teach gospel centrality. We teach Jesus. We don't come up here and say, this is the five ways to be a good person. Eat well. Sleep eight hours a day. Yeah, I mean, these are all good things and true, but the true aspect of who we are and the foundations of how life is lived is through the centrality and truth of Jesus, what he has done for us. The life we now live is reflective and overflow through who he is, not through just who we are, because who he is reflects who we truly are. That's what we preach on Sundays. But not only is it on this pulpit, it's also in the classroom. Our kids learn this all the time. But it's more than just teaching on the pulpit and in the classrooms. We commit to teaching and speaking the truth and love to one another in our every aspects of our lives, in our homes, in our, our walking, in our going, and going out to get coffee, inviting friends and family over. And it's not a place out of judgment or looking down, but it's out of a place of genuine compassion and understanding for one another. That we share our own experiences of God's goodness and grace to one another. Even if it's a moment where, where maybe you even feel shame about or maybe embarrassed about. But the reality is, is through your story, God's grace is reflected and can impact someone's life as we authentically share God's love through our stories. Others may find echoes of their own journey in your story. Let's use words that resonate with the heart rather than overwhelm with theological jargon. Right? It's not a matter of just sitting with each other and be like, thanks be it the Lord. And, and like you just start like using theological jargon that doesn't really help sometimes when someone's hurting or in need for an ear to listen to. To just be present with one another is so important when it comes to our gospel centrality. Because Jesus was present and is present with us now. Be a friend who listens and understands and gently point to the source of everlasting hope. Gently point to the goodness of who Jesus is. Let's recognize that sharing the gospel isn't a one-time event, but it's a continuous journey that we walk with people in as God's people. So in conclusion, family, may our lives be a radiant display of God's glory as we are transformed into the image of Christ. Walk in the freedom Christ has given you through what he has done. Worship together as family, not just on Sundays, although that's a wonderful display of it and reflection of it, but in your homes, at the park, at school, wherever you are with your family and your loved ones. And build your life on an unshakable foundation of the gospel. That you're always reminded, you teach yourself and you teach those you love and around you of who they are in Christ because he is the true foundation. As we live out this transformation, we become living testimonies to the world, showing that God's glory is not just a distant concept, but it's a reality in our everyday lives.
Let's be a people who display this transformative power by the gospel for all to see and as it overflows through us and in us. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are the reason we are here this morning. That our hurts and our pains of our past and the hopes and the journeys of our future really come centered in to who we are right now today. That no matter if we're on a hill or if we're in a valley, if we're in a up in a season or if we're in a down, that the foundation of your glory is reflected in us and through us in the midst of hardship and in the midst of, in the midst of joy. That we can reflect your truth through walking in our freedom, through worshiping as a family, and through the gospel-centered teaching and foundation of who we are in you, Jesus. God, as we take communion, may we be reminded of the physical entity of this truth. As we take the juice that represents your blood and the bread that represents your body that you broke so that we can be forgiven and made righteous and anew and that the veil is torn because of what you've done so that we can be near to you. Oh God, we celebrate together as we take communion as your people. We thank you and we respond to you right now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at storycitygh or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.